Thank you for accessing this audio resource from Glad Tidings Church. This is Pastor Tim Rice. I hope you enjoy the message and receive some benefit from it. If you do, please let us know. Send your comments to info at gladtidings.church. Now, here's this week's message. Well, we're going to continue in the book of Exodus for a few moments uh, this morning. And last week we talked about Passover. And in particular, we talked about Passover because we celebrated communion together. We talked about the connection between Passover and communion. And remember, I said uh, then that they, are, that they are both ritual observances that were instituted by God to memorialize the means by which God redeems uh, his people. And remember that in the case of Passover... Uh, God told Moses to instruct each Hebrew household there in the land of Egypt to select a lamb, one year old, um, a perfect lamb without blemish, and that that household should be prepared uh, to kill that lamb and roast it by fire on the night that he would pass through the land of Egypt and uh, that he would strike the firstborn of every man and every beast in the land of Egypt. And remember, God told Moses to tell uh, the children of Israel, the people of Israel, that they would be saved from this final plague, the death of the firstborn, if they would take some of the blood of that lamb that they slaughtered. They would take some of that blood, and if they would mark the doorposts and the lintel of the house in which they ate the Passover, that if they would do that, that blood would be assigned to the Lord. And uh, that's how Passover got its name. Remember, the Lord said, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And so that's how Passover got its name. This, now listen, this was, not, this was not the first blood sacrifice in the Bible. In fact, um, there are many blood sacrifices that occur and uh, many of them occur in other covenant ceremonies. But this was unique in the sense that this was the first time that a blood sacrifice was specifically instituted by God as a perpetual act of worship. In other words, God told uh, the children, the people of Israel to do this and remember this and continue to do this each uh, year. Remember, we said that that is in Exodus chapter 12, verse number 14, when God said to Israel, this day shall be for you a memorial day and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statue forever. You shall keep it as a feast. So this is the first time that a blood sacrifice is actually specifically instituted as a perpetual act of worship. What was the purpose of that blood sacrifice? Now listen, this is very important. What was the purpose of the uh, sacrifice of the Passover lamb? It was, it was not actually to save God's people from their sins. That blood sacrifice was not intended to save God's people from their sins. But in fact, that blood sacrifice is intended to show God's people their sins and to demonstrate their need to be saved. 
In fact, the book of Hebrews explains that. So before we go on and read any more in Exodus chapter 12, let me read from Hebrews chapter 10, where the writer of Hebrews says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Did you catch that? So those sacrifices, those yearly sacrifices that God instituted, they can never make anyone perfect. That's what the writer of Hebrews says. Otherwise, they would not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, being cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But listen to what Hebrews says, Hebrews 10 verse 3. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year. So in these sacrifices, these sacrifices are not for the removal of sin, but these sacrifices are a reminder of sins. For, and this is verse 4, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That's what God's word says. So those sacrifices, the past, even the Passover sacrifice that God said, do this every year perpetually, do it as a festival unto me. The purpose of those sacrifices was never to take away the sins of God's people. It was only to show God's people their sins and the need that they had that they should be saved from their sins. So the blood of the Passover lamb did not remove the sins of anyone, nor, nor did the blood of any Old Testament sacrifice. It never removed the sins of anyone. They were only a reminder of their sins and that their sins needed to be atoned for and that they needed salvation. Moreover, those sacrifices were, and we talked about this a little bit last week, those sacrifices were supposed to actually reveal the real work of salvation that was actually accomplished when Jesus Christ, who is the Lamb of God, shed his blood once and for all so that our sins can be removed, so that our guilt can be forgiven, so that our death sentence can be commuted, and so that our lives can be redeemed. What those sacrifices, those blood sacrifices of lambs and bulls and goats, what they were powerless to do, they could not remove our sin, they could not give us new life, we could not be forgiven because of that. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ has accomplished once and for all when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. So these sacrifices were supposed to remind God's people of their need for salvation and to reveal the fact that one day God was going to send his own son, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who would shed his blood for us so that we could be forgiven, so that our sins could be removed. And that's why Passover has so much to teach us about, about salvation. Uh, not because it just coincidentally corresponds to Jesus Christ, but because it intentionally points us to Jesus Christ and to what God has done for us 
through Jesus Christ, through the blood of his sacrifice. And so I'm I mentioned a few of those analogies last week. I'd like to pick up where we left off in Exodus chapter 12, and I'm going to point out at least three more uh, of those analogies this morning, all right? So let's read Exodus chapter 12, beginning in verse number 15, picking up where we left off last week. So seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove the leaven out of your houses, for, any, for if anyone eats what is leavened, from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day, you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day, a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you, and you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the 14th day of the month, at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month, at evening. For seven days, no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all of your dwelling places, you shall eat unleavened bread. Verse 21, then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts of the blood that is uh, with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your house to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. Verse 25, and when you come to the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service, you shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses, and the people bowed their heads and they worshiped. Let's pray. Father God, I pray for your anointing, Lord, over the next several minutes. God, I pray that you would give me the words that you would have me to speak to your people this morning. God, I believe that there is a A message here for us this morning that you want to impress upon our hearts. Moreover, God, I believe that there's somebody that's here today that perhaps they have never put their faith and they have never put their trust in Jesus Christ. I pray that, Lord, today their eyes would be opened, that you would reveal Jesus Christ to them in such a way that, Lord, they would call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and and be saved. I pray for your anointing, God, and I ask that you would give us all ears to hear so that, Lord, we might receive what you have to say to us today in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now, I'm not going to take very much of your time this morning because it is pastor appreciation, and I want you to appreciate the fact that I don't keep you here real late today. Amen. <laughs> and, I, and I know that you're, you're ready, to, uh, ready to eat, or soon we'll be ready to eat. But I but I do want to take a few moments this morning and pick, off, pick up where we left off last week, point out a few, few more analogies from um, the Passover. 
And, um, and what we see in this passage is that God's instructions to Moses concerning Passover was that it was intended as more than just a one-day event. In fact, we, we discover from this passage that Passover uh, was rather, it was a seven-day feast. And, and maybe more correctly, it was Passover was the introduction, um, the first event in a set, what would be a seven-day feast. Passover occurred during the evening after the 14th day of the month, remember? So it took place um, during the evening after the 14th day of the month. That is when the people of Israel would take the lamb that they had selected. Remember, four days prior to that, they had selected a lamb. And even that is full of imagery because Jesus came into Jerusalem uh, four days before he was crucified. But anyway, so they took the lamb that they had selected four days earlier. They killed the lamb on that the evening of the 14th day of the month. They marked their homes with its blood. They eat the meal of uh, the roasted lamb, the unleavened bread. They ate that meal with their, remember, their belts fastened, their sandals on. That night, the Bible says, God would pass through Egypt and he would strike the firstborn of every Egyptian male and every beast, but he would pass over the homes that bore the sign of the blood. That happened on the evening after the 14th day. But for seven days after that Passover night, the descendants of Israel were instructed to eat only unleavened bread. Now, the practical significance um, of this command to eat only unleavened bread for the next seven days is directly related to uh, the haste in which Israel uh, went out of Egypt. Remember, we talked about it, and we'll see that next week, that they they go out from Egypt in a hurry, in haste, because uh, Pharaoh says, get out of here. And so they have to, they have to flee, actually, uh, from Egypt. And so in fleeing from Egypt, they would have no time to bake bread. They would, they would have no time to prepare meals. And so this supply of unleavened bread was of practical consideration to the, the people of Israel because they were, they were making their way hastily out of Egypt during, during that time period. But there is some spiritual significance as well to this unleavened bread, which is why this, these seven days were set apart as a festival and, and why God named them the feast of unleavened bread. In fact, there's a lot here, but I'm only going to point out three prohibitions. I don't know if you noticed them, but I want to just point out three prohibitions that are mentioned in these verses and three prohibitions that will help us to understand something about salvation. Um, first of all, first prohibition is obvious. No leaven. God says, for these seven days, you'll eat unleavened bread. In fact, um, there should be no leaven whatsoever found in your home. How many knows what leaven is? If I say yeast, you know what yeast is, right? Leaven is an agent that when you add it into bread, it causes the bread 
to rise, right? It's actually a chemical reaction that happens uh, in, in the bread. So, um, so, G, so God says to Israel for seven days, no leaven. Now, that, again, that's a practical consideration just based on time, right? Because you're not going to have time to leaven your bread, wait for it to rise, uh, bake it, and, and make it all nice and pretty because you're going to have to get out of Dodge real quick. So there's a practical consideration there, but it goes beyond um, that practical consideration because um, they're supposed to take the time not only to just not eat um, leavened bread, only eat un, uh, unleavened bread, but they're supposed to take the time to remove any leaven from their homes, which means they had to take the time to clean their house and remove all traces of leaven in their homes. Now, let me, let me explain something this morning that, that will become very important. Leaven works at a um, molecular level, which means that leaven is actually uh, comprised of microscopic organisms or chemical processes that, that in the leaven, they interact with, and they change the composition of the ingredients of the bread. So when you add these these, this organic material into the bread, it actually interacts with the ingredients at a molecular level. It releases gas into the bread, which causes the bread uh, to rise. So when we do it, or um, some people when they do it, they add yeast into the bread. You're actually introducing those agents into the bread so that they can do their thing in the bread at the molecular level level. Obviously, the ancient Egyptians and the Hebrews, uh, they couldn't go to Walmart or Carly C's and buy a packet of yeast and just add that into, into the bread. Typically, what they had to do to leaven their bread was they had to take, had to keep a small portion of bread that had been previously made, that had leaven in it, that had already risen, and then they would have to take that piece of bread and they would have to add it into the ingredients of the next batch of bread that they made. So they would either have to dissolve that in water and then mix up the next batch of bread or sometimes they would knead the dough and they would take that piece of bread and actually introduce it into the dough and knead it into the dough so that, that those, again, microscopic organisms could enter into the dough and do their, uh, do their thing. So they would... They would introduce the leaven from the old bread into the new bread. And then they would give it enough time to multiply. They would give it enough time to spread throughout the dough, causing it to rise before they baked it. And, and it's for that reason that leaven entered into the rabbinic tradition, the Jewish tradition, the teaching tradition, as an effective illustration of the corrupting influence of sin. Then when you allow sin into your life, then what happens is that it begins to multiply and it begins to send out roots into your life. It begins to spread uh, in your heart. And so leaven came to represent the corrupting influence of sin. And so you may remember that Jesus in the New Testament, he warned his disciples about what? The leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And Paul told the church at Corinth, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? 
So cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, and I read this passage last week, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Therefore, the the prohibition against leaven was intended to remove all of the old leaven from the households of Israel. That meant literally getting rid um, of any piece of bread, any parcel of bread that they were holding on to uh, so that they could make another batch of bread. How many of you have... Um, bread boxes at home that uh, you're, sometimes you're afraid to open up the bread box because there's some old bread sitting in there and you know that uh, uh, those microscopic organisms have begun to work and do their thing, right? And so that's what, God, that's what God is saying to Israel. Go through your house and clean out any scraps of bread, any pieces of bread that you're holding on to that has that old leaven that is remaining in it. So that meant that they had to get rid of any bread, any fragments of bread, even crumbs of bread, which had been baked previously in the land of Egypt. God says, I want you to clean it out of your house. Get all of it out of your house. And and listen, this is important also. It's not that God is opposed, um, it's not that God is opposed to leavened bread. Aren't you thankful? Say amen. (laughs) In fact, um, In fact, God would require leavened bread with other sacrifices and at other times. In fact, the showbread that was in the temple were loaves of bread, which means they were leavened. They rose. They were actually loaves of of bread. So it's not that God was opposed to leavened bread. What God was opposed to was the old leaven of Egypt. It was the leaven of Egypt. Because he was leading them out of Egypt and because he was bringing them into a new land and he was constituting them as a holy people and therefore he wanted everything that had to do with Egypt to be out of their life and because he was doing a new thing Uh, among his people. Therefore, God's people were required to remove all of the bread that had been previously baked in Egypt so that it would not contaminate, so that it would not corrupt the new thing that God was about to do with his people. Now, there's a a problem there this morning, and I want to take some time to explain that, okay? The problem Problem's not with the Bible. How many knows the Word of God is infallible? Amen. So the problem is not in, in, in the Bible. The problem is in what we think uh, the Bible says. And, and sometimes people think that this means that we are responsible to remove, that we are responsible to remove the sin from our lives before we can be saved. Maybe you've heard somebody say that before, suggest that before. Well, I know I've got to get my life right. I, I hear it quite often. I've got to get my life right before I go back to church. I, just, I know there's some things I've got to get right uh, with God. 
And, and it comes from this misunderstanding, I think, that we think we are responsible to remove the sin from our life before we can be saved. Now, that, now I would agree that seems like a reasonable interpretation in some and some Christians and many believers think that's what God requires, that we have to clean up our lives, that, that we have to get our act together, that we need to stop doing the things that violate God's law, and then God will save us. If you'll get your life right, if you'll clean your life up, then God uh, will save you. But here's the thing. If, if we could do that, if we could get our life right, <laughs> if we could get rid of the sin... Uh, in our life, then how many knows we wouldn't need God to save us if we could do it ourselves? But that's precisely what the Bible says we cannot do. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot. Uh, if we could save ourselves, then we wouldn't, have, we wouldn't need God uh, to save us. It's precisely because we cannot help ourselves and it's because we cannot keep God's law that we need God to save us from our sins. And so many believers, listen, many, it might be some this morning, many believers have refused God's grace because they believe that, it requ that he requires them to do something that they know I cannot do. I can't do it. And many Christians, many Christians live in condemnation for the same reason. Because they think God requires me to do something that I just, I've tried, i tried, and I cannot do it. So let me tell you this morning, God doesn't require us to remove the sin from our lives. Now listen, you're going to have to listen to me very carefully this morning, all right? So punch your neighbor real quick. Make sure they're awake, all right? Because I don't want them leaving saying, Pastor Tim said something that I didn't say, all right? <laughs> so you have to listen very carefully to me this morning. God doesn't require us to remove the sin from our lives. He requires us, but this is important, he requires us to repent of the sin in our life. He requires us to repent of the sin that is in our lives. Remember, I said leaven operates how? On a molecular level. That means it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter how thorough the Hebrews were. They could have got every piece of bread. They could have got every crumb of bread out of their house. They could have swept their homes completely, and, and they did. But it doesn't matter how thorough they were. It was it would have been impossible for them to totally eradicate all of the organisms that could possibly leaven their bread when they, when they baked it because those organisms were in the air all around them. They were surrounding them all of the time. Um, how many of you like sourdough bread? I love sourdough bread. I don't like San Francisco sourdough bread. You know why they call it San Francisco sourdough bread? That's because originally that bread came from San Francisco and it was leavened by the organisms that were unique in the air, the atmosphere 
of San Francisco. Now, you might not like San Francisco sourdough bread anymore now that I've said that this morning. I don't know if that's still the case or not. But, but here's, the, here's the deal. This is what I'm trying to, uh, here's what I'm trying to get you to understand. Those, those microorganisms, they're, they were all around, they're all around us. They're around us this morning. And if you mac, uh, mixed up a, a thing of bread and the right ingredients and you left it sitting out, then there's fermentation that's going to take place. And that bread's going to rise because those leavening agents are all around us. Um, they surround us. So it, it would have been impossible for Israel to remove every trace of any kind of organism. They didn't even know micro, microorganisms were around them at that point. So it would have been impossible for them to remove all of those uh, microorganisms, adding Adding bread that had already been leavened was the quickest and it was the most direct way of adding those organisms into a new batch of bread. But removing all of the traces of leavened bread from their home is not the same thing as removing all of the microorganisms from your home. They're still, they're still there. They're still around you. And that's the same way it is with our sin nature. It's, it's impossible for us to completely eradicate our own sin. We, we don't have the power to do it. It's, we're unable to do it. In fact, if you ever read Paul in Romans chapter 7, when Paul, we're talking about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul says, you know, I don't understand the things that I want to do. I don't do those things. And the things that I don't want to do, those are the things I find myself doing. What was Paul's, um, what was his conclusion there? He said, it's because I have this sin nature that is in me, that is, that is always trying to exert itself in, in my life. And it's the same way if Paul, how many knows if Paul couldn't eradicate his own sin nature, then then we don't stand a chance of eradicating our own sin nature either, do we? So, that's, so we're missing the point if we think that God requires us to remove all our sin nature. We all have a sin nature, and we can't remove that nature. I wish we could, don't you? I wish that we could remove that nature. Now listen, that doesn't mean that we indulge that sin nature. And that's the point of what God is saying to Israel. No, we're, we're not to indulge that sin nature. In fact, we are responsible to repent of our sins. To repent. We can't remove our sins, but we can repent of our sins. We can confess those things that we do that are caused by that sin nature. Just like Israel was responsible to remove the bread that had been caused by that leavening agent that was operating. We are responsible to repent of those things. We confess those things that we do that are caused by that sin nature. We should feel godly sorrow for our sins and we should self-consciously turn away from those things that we do that are not pleasing to God. Everybody with me this morning? That's repentance. Repentance is 
getting every trace of bread that you can out of the house and saying, God, you know, I've got this sin nature and I know I can't remove the sin. You don't ask me to remove the sin from my life, but God, you do require me to repent of my sin, to confess my sins to you, and in godly sorrow to turn away from those things and turn to Jesus Christ. And so we repent of our sins, and it's, and it's only as we repent of our sins then that God is able to come in and do a work in our hearts and in our lives to transform us and to regenerate us and to give us the power to do what we cannot do ourselves. Amen? So we can't remove our sin from our life, but how many knows God can do the work in us? Amen? And so we're responsible to repent of our sins. Say, God, I confess. I confess my sin to you. I see the things that are in my life that I knew, know does not please you. That's, remember, that's the purpose of these sacrifices, to remind Israel that they are sinners and that they need salvation. So we're responsible to repent of our sins and then trust God to do the work of grace in us that he desires to do. So first prohibition is no leaven. No leaven. Repent. Of your sins. The second one um, follows, follows from that. The second prohibition was this. I don't know if you noticed it. It's a festival for seven days. God's word says that on the first day, on the seventh day, God said, hold a holy assembly and do no work. Do no, no work. Now, this follows along with God's word about the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a day of rest. It's a day when we should cease from our labors and God's saying to Israel on these occasions do no work the significance of that is that we we've already learned we can't we can't remove our own sin we can't save ourselves and so God reminds us to cease from our works because God's word says we're not saved by our works we're only saved by grace amen and so we rest in the work that God has already done for us. We can't do it ourselves. I have to trust God to do it in me. And so I have to cease from my striving and my labors and trust that God is going to do the work in me. And then the final prohibition is um, no leaven, no, le no labor. And then finally, last one, no leaving. No leaving. On, on the night of the Passover, God says, after you mark your home with blood and you go in to eat um, the Passover meal, he says, don't leave once you go in the house. Don't leave. Well, again, practical concern. Verse number 22 says, take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, touch the lentil and do, do two uh, doorposts of the uh, home and none of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. Well, why should they not go out of their house until the morning? Well, obviously because that was the night that God was passing through Egypt to smite, to strike the firstborn. And God says, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Listen, we, there is nothing else that we can trust in for our salvation but the blood 
of Jesus Christ. We can't do it ourselves. We can't remove our own sin nature from ourselves. We can't save ourselves. We, we need to cease from our striving and our works-centered religion and learn to just trust in Jesus Christ. Rest in him. Thank him for the blood and believe what God has done for us. That's salvation that we put our trust and our faith completely in what Jesus Christ has done for us. And we can't do it ourselves. We have to depend on him. We have to rely on, on him. Remember I said at the very beginning that this was a seven-day festival and, and that um, the unleavened bread was a memorial to the fact that they left Egypt in haste. They, had to, they actually had to flee out of of Egypt. They had to flee from, from Pharaoh's wrath. And that's what the gospel message is. The gospel message is that God has made a way of escape for us. Amen. You know, when John the Baptist began preaching the message of repentance, the Bible says that he went out, all people were going out to him. John the Baptist looked at the Pharisees and the Sadducees and he said to them, well, he, he said to them, you brood of vipers, um, how many knows John the Baptist wouldn't have made a very good pastor, probably? <laughs> you brood of vipers. He says, who has warned you to flee from the wrath that is coming? Peter, on the day of Pentecost, when he preached the gospel that first time on the day of Pentecost, he told those folks to repent and be baptized. And in verse number 40, it says, and with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generations, generation. How many of us, we cannot save ourselves, but what we can do is we can flee from this crooked generation. And friends, I don't think you need me to tell you that we live in a crooked generation. We live... In, in a world that is sinful and, and selfish. And if we want to survive, we must flee from this evil generation because of its wickedness. The Bible says the wrath of God will eventually come against it. But the question is, where do we flee? What do we do? Well, we must flee to Jesus Christ. Amen. We must flee to him because it's only his blood that will save us we can't save ourselves we're not we're not smart enough to save ourselves we don't have the capacity to save ourselves we must run to Jesus Christ amen thank you for listening today if you have any questions or would like more information about following Jesus Christ please contact us at gladtidings.church if you live near Dunn, North Carolina, please consider visiting our church on Sunday mornings at 1030. You can also download our church app in the iTunes or Google Play app store and receive updates and notifications. You may use the app to make a financial gift to help support our ministry. God bless you.